0: I'm trying to find ways to keep fighting, even if I'm out of breath and completely destroyed on the inside.
1: Amen. And welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club. That was this episode's guest, Jumana Haddad. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant. Jumana's life and her passions were way too hard for me to neatly summarize for this intro, so I'm just going to straight-lift from Wikipedia to give you just a little flavor. Jumana Haddad is a Lebanese author, public speaker, journalist, and women's right activist. She's been selected as one of the world's 100 Most Powerful Arab Women, four years in a row, by Arabian Business Magazine for her cultural and social activism. She's the founder of Jassad, a quarterly Arabic language magazine specialized in the arts and literature of the body. Haddad launched a new TV show in November 2018 on al highlighting the topics of free expression and critical thinking. Okay, That's the entry, but it doesn't really cover the half of it. Juman is an absolutely inspiring human. And if you're a little sensitive to talk about sex and sexuality, this episode might make you blush a little bit, which means you, of all people, need to turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to Nice Work with Jumana Haddad. Jumana, hello. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on this call, on this podcast with Nice Work. Good morning.
0: Thank you so much, Todd, for having me. Good morning. I'm thrilled to be with you here.
1: But it isn't morning for you, is it?
0: No, it's late afternoon. It's about 7 p.m.
1: And you're in Beirut.
0: I'm in Beirut.
1: I think about 6% of Americans can put Beirut on a map. Um, yeah. So you are our first. Actually, that was kind of a mean thing to say. I'll probably edit that out. I don't want to be a mean <laughs> I'm, I'm, having a real, I'm struggling with America, my fellow citizens right now. I really am. Like well, never before. Like never before. <laughs> Just on, on literacy. I
0: understand on, on
1: all sorts of things. And I think it's time that the United States be broken up. Seriously, I think the experiment's over. Smaller countries. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Just, uh, I'm I'm over it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so, geez, I don't even know where to start. You do so, so much. Uh, poet, activist, publisher, editor, journalist. What do, you say, what do you say to people when they ask you what you do for a living? Is that like a two-hour conversation every time, or do you have a, an elevator pitch at this point?
0: <laughs> oh, actually, it is somehow um, difficult to explain because I find myself every day drawn to uh, one hat more than the other, and I keep changing my preferences, but I started out as a poet, and I always like to say that whatever I do, whether journalism, uh, literature, uh, activism, uh, whatever, I do with the heart and mind of a poet. So if I had to choose, uh, I would choose a poet, a poet who does activism for human rights, a poet who writes also novels and plays and, and many other things, a poet who's a journalist and a TV host.
1: Okay. I like that. There's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful foundation. Everything comes from that creative space, and there's a consistent thread between all of it. Okay. So you're a poet. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. You're also, according to Arabian Business Magazine, one of the 100 most powerful Arab women, and you have been for some years yeah. now. Yeah. That sounds really impressive, but just not to, not to denigrate it, but for context, how powerful is the most powerful Arab woman?
0: Actually, um, as you might already know, Todd, there are a lot of uh, cliches and stereotypes about the Arab woman Mm -hmm. and how she's all, you know, oppressed and weak and has no control over her life. And obviously, like any cliche, a part of this is true, but it's incomplete. And there's a completely different kind of woman who's strong, independent, a real warrior who's trying to make a difference for herself and for other women in the Arab world. And we have lots of those, don't underestimate the number of badass women in the Arab world. So um, I would say that the toughest women in the Arab world, obviously here power means influence, how much you are, influencing others. What's your reach as a person? So I would say she, uh, she would be as tough, if not more, than some of the toughest women out there in the West.
1: I love that answer too. You are on an early roll here. So when they, when they consider you one of the more powerful Arab women, what is that based in beyond your poetry?
0: This is based, first of all, in the reach of my books, uh, which are not only books. They are also um, uh, uh, transmitting uh, a line of thought, a line of thought that is rooted in Freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of belief or not belief. Uh, They are rooted in transparency, honesty, uh, not um, negotiating over your basic rights. So these books are somehow, at least I don't want to sound pretentious, but some of the people who read them tell me that they have changed the way that they used to look at things. And I think this is one of the most important effects that you can have on others out there. And I'm really proud and humbled every time I receive an email or a a message telling me how much I contributed in changing them or in empowering them. Um, Second of all, there is my work as a journalist and how I keep working on subjects that are considered taboo in the Arab world, which means you shouldn't talk about these things. You shouldn't even think about these things. And I insist on the fact that we must talk about these and it's our responsibility because not talking about them is hugely responsible for a big part of our sickness. And thirdly, my work as an activist and, I've been, I've been you know, fighting for 20 years now for equality, uh, women's rights, inclusion, secularism in Lebanon, which is a very sectarian country. So all of that, this is a package that thankfully influences some people and this is why I'm on the list.
1: And you have a TV show as well, correct?
0: Yes, I worked in written journalism for 20 years. I used to work in a newspaper called Annahar and I was running the cultural section. Uh, But then two years ago, I moved to to TV, and I have a show called Word of Truth. It's like when you say words in the USA. And uh, it's about all the uh, violations of human rights happening in different parts of the Arab world. We speak about those violations. We uh, discuss them with other activists. We try to suggest answers or possible solutions. Uh, But mainly, we speak about these in order to shed light on what's wrong and what's hurting other people in our part of the world.
1: When you look at, because you're so deeply experienced uh, as an activist on issues of equality of all types, when you look at and what's happening over here in the United States right now. Do you see truth being effectively spoken to power? Do you see any signs that what we're going through will lead to lasting change? Um,
0: what's happening now, hopefully, is going to lead to, um, to a more dignified United States. At least I hope so, because, you know, as I've been following what's been happening lately, and um here in Lebanon we really follow the US quite closely not only via you know the entertainment business which means you know the movies the series etc uh social media but also uh, politics-wise, because we know that it affects us as a country as well, because we are a small country, and there are so many dynamics at work in Lebanon. So um, I've been noticing a general, let's say, um, I don't want to say destruction, but I I would say slowing down of the human rights movement, the equality movement, I was witnessing that, and also in other parts of the West, because what's been done in the 60s was so amazing. Regarding, let's talk about women, for example. I feel like what's been done in the 60s was so amazing, and uh, many Western countries have built on it. But then, somehow, for the last two decades, there's been some kind of... um, sluggishness and as if people have uh, had enough of, of fighting, knowing that if you stop fighting, Uh, you're going to go backwards. It's not like you can say, now I can rest. I've done the fight. I've won. And now I can rest. Unfortunately, with human rights, we need to keep on fighting and fighting every day. Every day we wake up, we have to go to war. So I was noticing somehow there was a backlash on feminism and on feminist issues. Uh, There was a rise in violence against women. I was really happy when the Me Too movement started, for example, and now I'm so uh, happy following what's happening regarding Black Lives Matter and the way Americans are trying to gain back basic fundamental rights regarding their dignity, things that we all should have because we're all equal as human beings.
1: It's a push-pull that that continues to happen again and again. I guess we hope that it's the classic two steps forward, one step back dance, right? On yeah. into the future forever. It can seem... Like, for an example, I don't know if this is a good parallel, but you're perfectly suited to, to let me know because you lived through the Arab Spring that seemed destined to reshape the world. Um, but you called it another winter when it came to women's rights. In fact, in yeah. some countries, Arab Spring was followed by Arab Winter and progress that was made was, was more than reversed, right? Do you? This is why... Yeah. This is why I fear in the United States that we will take our collective feet off the gas, uh, so to speak, before anything is earned more than just lip service by some politicians. Do yeah. you think I'm wrong to fear that?
0: No, you're not wrong because you're right. History has taught us that disappointment is, is real, but you know, when you're in the middle of such a fight, uh, it's very important to keep believing that something something's got to give because if you don't if you keep thinking that oh no we're going to be disappointed again we're going to go backwards again you won't be able to at least go those two steps forward that will allow you to uh, be ahead, even if you go afterwards a little bit backwards. So it's important to keep the faith in the fight that you are, uh, you are doing.
1: You mentioned the sixties and in the sixties, we obviously we had a big, what we would just blanket call like the hippie movement, right? Blossoming of, of spiritual thought and ideas. And a lot of those folks or people who are similarly minded would they like to advocate that there is a coming spiritual evolution, if you will, and that when we as a humanity attain that, we will be on, we will be beyond, you know, these sort of inequalities. I'm a little bit dubious of that. I think that this it's <laughs> more of a uh, that we, I do believe that we grow culturally. There's uh, culture genes that can be perpetuated, provided that we write books and we codify our lessons for future generations. Are you a little dubious of this, this, this notion that we will evolve as a species beyond these basic inequalities?
0: I doubt that. Honestly, I'm one of those who believe that, uh, first of all, when I was talking about the 60s, I wasn't talking about the hippie movement. Uh, I was talking mainly about the feminist revolution. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm not particularly optimistic regarding regarding the future of mankind. I think that the number of those who are more aware and decent is gonna grow, but. It's not going to grow significantly and quickly enough in order to outbalance the number of those either who don't want to know or who don't have the ability to know and care about what's happening, not only to other human beings, but also to this earth where we are living, so I'm not particularly optimistic. And in fact, I keep telling my own sons, I have two grown-up sons, I keep telling them, I think it would be better uh, if you don't have any kids. Because somehow, I keep thinking what kind of world I forced two human beings to live into. I know this might sound desperate, but it's not. It's realistic, you know, because even if you are born in one of the most privileged conditions out there, and not in one of the worst, like my case, uh, you're still gonna have a lot of struggles and obstacles and heartaches uh, going through your life. So I keep you know, asking myself these existential questions and thinking, isn't it somehow an injustice to force another human being to be born?
1: That, wow, that's a, that is a big conversation there. We could, we could go on so many tangents there, and as a parent as well, with three boys, I certainly have the same thoughts. I'm certainly concerned for them and concerned for the future. And I think that every generation of humans has probably gone through some version of this, right? But you're right. Now we look at 100 degrees in Siberia. We look at climate issues. We look at population pressures. We look at all of the things. And we look at the responses, which to date have been feeble, right? And the most optimistic folks tend to be like, oh, Silicon Valley will fix it all. You know, they'll develop an app and the app will change Climate change and feed everybody and make everybody equal, which is nonsense, which is total nonsense. You know, you can't manufacture fresh water But at the same time, there's that balance of, of just you have to have some hopefulness, right? And we have to let's say we knew that the world was going to end in 20 years When we want it to be graceful, you know, wouldn't we want to contribute grace to those 20 years
0: yeah but, but because we're already stuck here but would we would we want to bring more lives to this world? I know. But what I was
1: we have a genetic prerogative.
0: I know. This is the biggest the selfish gene. This is our problem. But I mean I mean it's not only about the climate change and about what's happening I mean uh, in the post social media era that we are living now, whenever I open the different platforms that I am in, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, there's so much hate going on out there. There's so much bullying. There's so much... And I'm discovering how horrible people are. I'm sorry. This is why the Super Nice Club is so important. Because people are horrible. They, are, they manage to say the most evil things to someone who's completely vulnerable. And they don't give a damn about them.
1: I, I would suggest that during the time of COVID, that the lens, a narrow lens that is social media, is a really difficult way to get a, a view of humanity, um, which isn't to say that I, I don't share your misanthropic take on a regular basis. You know, I'm, I'm very schizophrenic about that. You know, we're amazing, mm-hmm. we're terrible, we're amazing, we're, we're both, right? You know, yeah, this, is, I know. This, is, this is your work. When I read your work, it, 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 it shows the beauty of humanity and it also exposes the ugliness. And that's, you know, your curse as a poet to have deep insight into both is what makes you so valuable Uh, and as a reporter because you have that that clear vision and it can be frustrating I think when not everybody shares it so what's going on in right now in Beirut last time we talked you said Beirut is crazy so many problems we are exhausted honestly what's that
0: yeah well First of all, we have a revolution going on since October 2019 because we have a very uh, corrupt, uh, indifferent, uh, horrible uh, class of politicians who have been ruining our country for more than 30 years. Our, um, our currency has completely collapsed. Uh, it's lost 80% of its value in less than two months. Um, and uh, there's also the COVID-19 situation. Today I read a report, um, I think in the Independent, that soon 80% of the Lebanese people living in Lebanon are going to Feel hungry all the time because there's not gonna be enough food. So it's it's really grim. Oh and maybe that is this is one of the reasons why because you caught me with this interview at a particular hard period of my life and of everyone's life here. Mm-hmm. So usually I'm way more combative and uh, I believe in uh, people's ability to change. But Todd, whenever I go out, even for a quick walk, I see so many people looking uh, through the trash in order to find food. And this breaks your heart and your spirit, just the sight of that. So it's, it's, it's not a good time for Lebanon right now. I don't know what's gonna happen. We're still uh, living in mayhem and we're in the unknown. But let's talk about something else. Let's talk about yeah. literature. Let's talk about, I mean, I've, I've recently started a center for youth uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I feel like if we work on spreading awareness to young people, this country might have a chance in maybe 20 years of changing for the better. So it's a center called uh, the Jumana Haddad Freedom Center. It's an NGO and uh, we do regular talks, workshops, projects with young people. We founded a feminism festival in Beirut. Um, the first edition happened in February, right before the COVID-19 crisis. So I'm trying to find ways to keep fighting, even if I'm out of breath and completely destroyed on the inside.
1: That, I, I get it, I get it, I really do. And you don't stop, and I know you didn't really wanna, you said let's move on past Lebanon, but I just, I really wanna ask you real quick, because this shed some light also to, to listeners um, on just how devoted you are to this. In 2018, you won an election to the parliament in Lebanon, yeah but you were quickly denied your win. What's yeah. the, give us the, the Cliffs notes, the quick rundown on what happened there, and will you run again?
0: Okay. So what happened was, uh, let me just explain very quickly how corrupt the system is and uh, the electoral law. So uh, everything in Lebanon is based on uh, a sectarian structure and distribution. So when you run for a seat, you run, for example, for the Maronite seat or the Orthodox or the Sunni or the Shia, which is something that has, been one of the biggest problems in Lebanon, in my opinion, and one of my biggest fights as an activist. So when I ran, uh, people already knew uh, who they were voting or not voting for. I ran as a big-mouthed woman, feminist, uh, who fights for sexual liberation, who breaks all taboos uh, who is an atheist who fights for secularism. So just to give you, and, and who's a woman, you know, it's it adds to the pressure. Just to let you know, we have only six out of 128 deputies in Lebanon who are women. So even if there are so many, you know, uh, qualified women out there, uh, you have women who run businesses, women who have, you know, managed to change so many things, but politics is still a very patriarchal, uh, macho world. So, um, when I won, they were, I mean, these, uh, mainstream sectarian, uh, politicians were, um, really, um, you know, shocked because they they didn't imagine that someone like me would win. So they managed to overturn the result and to say mm-hmm. that there was uh, um, a miscount. And I uh, made an appeal to the constitutional court because everybody knew that there was fraud being done. And uh, the appeal the appeal didn't <laughs> didn't change anything because, unfortunately. Um, the members of the constitutional court are also uh, influenced by politicians and chosen by politicians. So only three out of 10 members uh, said that, yes, there was fraud, and seven said, no, there was no fraud. So it was overturned. But honestly, I used to think, um, I mean, for the first year after the elections, I was really intent on running again. Uh, Now, not so much, now not so much, because I think with all the work I'm doing at the center, at the youth center, and um, my work as an activist and as a journalist, as also with my books, I feel like it's way more rewarding uh, because you feel like something is changing, even if slowly, while if I go, into the parliament, it's going to be constant fights uh, with the other, uh, you know, politicians, because somehow they're going to come back. It's not like no one is going to elect them. They keep using the uh, religious instincts of people, you know, playing all those uh, chords of you know, I'm protecting your rights as Muslims, I'm protecting Mm -hmm. your rights as uh, Christians in order to be re-elected, and people keep falling in that trap. So I I don't think I want to go there again.
1: Do you think that being a woman or being an avowed atheist was more to your detriment?
0: Oh, the combination. It's a cocktail Molotov, trust me. That and being, you know, very outspoken and um, uh, uh, non, um, I don't take, I'm sorry for the words I use, I don't take shit from anyone. So if you step on my toes... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on that. So this is why I, when we started talking today, I told you I'm not sure people here think I'm super nice. So I'm not sure how deserving I am of being in the club. Because, I mean, there are people who think I'm nice, but most people think I'm rude. I'm, uh, you know, um, uh, not diplomatic. I hate the word diplomatic. I think politically political correctness is one of the worst things that are happening in our world, along with indifference. Well I the think world's we should diplomats say things like they are.
1: The diplomats of the world are not getting the work done. That's I think it's yes. very clear. The activists, the writers, the poets, the scholars, the academics, uh, the scientists, they're getting the work done. So yeah. it's, it's it is a, a an interesting conversation around what is nice and is turning the other cheek, is timidity and meekness in the face of inequality a nice trait? No, 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 not at all. We certainly rant and wail and scream and shout and curse in the super nice club. This is not the uh, super passive club by any means. Yeah,
0: I cannot turn the other cheek. Never. Um, I think um, my mom tells me that ever since I was like seven, eight months old, whenever she used to force me to drink my milk, I used to drink it and then spit it out in her face. So just to tell you (laughs) how how you can never, you know, force me to accept something I don't want to accept.
1: Well, I'm glad. I, I remember you sent me a proof of this one. Superman is an Arab, on God, Marriage, Macho Men, and Other Disastrous Inventions. Great title, by the way. And it blew me away. Not just your writing, but the piercing strength of your critiques against patriarchy. It's been 12 years since the book came out, at least since it came out in in the West. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this. uh, But has the needle moved at all in Lebanon? Even though you lost, even though it's only six out of 128, or whatever the numbers were you said, Are you seeing anything happening?
0: Honestly, I'm not. I'm not. Because you know what happens? You spoke about the uh, Arab Spring. Uh Uh, the the events and the revolutions that started unfolding in 2011, right before this book came out. And uh, as we all know, uh, these revolutions or these so-called revolutions have brought, they started as real revolutions, but unfortunately, they have uh, brought more um, religious extremism, uh, more patriarchy, more conservatism. So um, I don't think that things, things have moved. So uh, women are dying every day. They are being killed by their partners, by their loving partners for so many reasons like crimes of honor, or anger because of you know the situation, as if that is a pretext to kill someone, uh, little girls are being married every day, still in twenty twenty There is almost no presence for women at the decision-making levels in in Lebanon and in the Arab world. Actually, you know, there's this idea that Lebanon is is so much better or more open than other countries, more modern than other countries in the Arab world. And that's a sham. That's also, uh, you know, it's... um, We have a certain freedom, but it's very superficial and it's very partial. It's a very small community who has a certain kind of freedom. But this is not real emancipation. This is not your rights as a citizen. So things haven't moved forward. I don't see it, honestly. I think that we are still in the same swamp.
1: I'm going to change gears completely because I have no positive... Uh, response to that unfortunately. (laughs) What what is, what's the tattoo read on your right clavicle?
0: Oh, uh, here, uh, lives Lilith, you know, Lilith, Lilith, the first woman, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, very few people here know her story. I've written a book about her, a poetry book about Lilith, because when I discovered her story, as for her being the first woman and being independent and not being a a rib like Eve, uh, I I fell in love with her. And I discovered that very few people know about her in this part of the world. So this is like a pretext for people to ask me, what is this? And then I tell them the story and
1: that gets into your whole story, doesn't it? Yes. I mean that you can <laughs> that's that's a great it's a great conversation starter. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah. All right.
1: Is that I can't tell. Is it Arabic on your shoulder or what is it? It just looks like Yes,
0: everything this is Arabic. Right. This is no here. It's Munir okay. and Onsi, my two sons. Oh, okay. It's in um in, in English, but I also have other tattoos. This is freedom in Arabic on my uh, arm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: and I have a few other ones. I mean, I
1: just had to ask. I have, I have Arabic. You can't see it, but it's on my right hip. My son, Justice, it's uh, his name in Arabic. I, at least I think it's Justice in Arabic. I hope so. Yeah.
0: I hope so. Uh,
1: I had it vetted by a couple of people. Changing gears a little bit, because this I'm, I'm really interested in. Super nice pub listeners might be shocked by this, but I have a, a nearly lifelong interest. In, in people who have pushed the boundaries of what is considered ridiculously to be obscene. My publishing hero was, was a guy named Ralph Ginsberg who published just incredible publications. One was called Eros, uh, which got him in prison after a long legal battle. They went all the way to the US Supreme Court. And then there was a fact and there was another one called Avant-Garde. I've collected all of them. I've published my writing uh, and photography in an Austrian erotic magazine called Tickle. So, Super Nice Club members, if that throws you, just understand that I deeply believe that sex and sensuality are at the core of Super Nice and super empowering. So, there's really nothing inconsistent here for me, which leads me to an erotic. Jassad magazine.
0: magazine. Yeah,
1: you published Jassad. Um, Yes. Was that the scariest thing you've ever done? Are you still getting death threats?
0: no i 'm not not for that at least okay. <laughs> not for that reason, but yeah, it was the scariest the scariest thing i 've done, but i 'm super proud that I did it because and i'm i 'm hopeful that I might be able to uh, continue or restart, uh, resume the publication because we had to stop because of financial reasons. But it was a magazine in Arabic called Jasad. Jasad means body. And uh, it had contributions from Arab writers and artists. It was about the arts and literature of the body. Uh, we discussed everything. we showed everything. It was sold all over the Arab world. They tried to censor it, but um, we fought the battle and we won. obviously death threats, acid threats all everything you can imagine you know mm-hmm. the whole the whole nine yards but um I at the time, I think I was convinced that they were just trying to intimidate me so and since this uh, since i 'm a crazy person, whenever you try to intimidate me, I get fiercer in in the things i 'm pursuing so i go I do even harder. more than <laughs> I do even more than what I was uh, you know thinking of doing, so um, yeah, we published a beautiful, beautiful. Issues and I'm really proud of this magazine.
1: They look beautiful, at least online. I haven't got my yeah. Hands and online. and
0: and the important thing is, I refused to publish anything with a pseudonym because I wanted people to be. Um, to contribute in in changing minds about this. You know, people here are obsessed about sex and sexuality, but they don't dare speak about it. Or if they want to speak about it, they talk about it in small groups in English or in French because they feel like the Arabic is too blunt to discuss it. So I wanted also to uh, pay tribute to our beautiful language, the Arabic language, that has an amazing potential and vocabulary regarding Sex and
1: erotic. You've talked about sex, the the uh, absurdity of sex being framed as the original sin. Yeah. Talk talk on that. I want to I want to hear you riff on that.
0: Well, it Red was it, it was but, sarcastic, yeah. you yeah. know. Obviously, because I'm an atheist, all of this is just. Uh, great material for me to mm-hmm. go on and on about the absurdity of the stories. I don't want to offend anyone's, you know, personal beliefs, but these are also my beliefs, and I have the right to uh, express them. And I think this is, you know, bullshit. I say in in the book that you were talking about, Superman is an Arab, uh, which, by the way, is not published in the U.S. Uh, uh, Shahrazad, I killed Shahrazad, was published in the US yes. but Superman is an Arab was just published in the UK and in Lebanon I wrote it in English uh, so I say in it that uh, if that's the original sin and at the same time this is the reason why we exist as a species I mean what's what's the take here what should we what should we decide? It's basically what's sinful for me is. I mean, I don't even like the word sin, but what's bad for me is hypocrisy, double standards, bigotry, and uh, instead of you know uh, going and and uh, waging a war on on humans' natural instincts on on something as beautiful as sex, instead of, you know, uh, providing kids with the proper sexual education in order for them to thrive as adults, people are raising little monsters. They are raising rapists and rapees, unfortunately. I don't want to generalized. There are obviously amazing families out there who have the guts to discuss these issues with their kids. But most of the time, all these taboos are generating violence, you know, violence because they are so hungry that you can feel whenever a man looks at you, I I keep saying this, you can feel that their eyes are drooling because they, they, even though they spend most of their time online on sites like YouPorn and whatever, but they're obsessed with sex. And there are so many uh, uh, acts of violence generating from this unhealthy relationship with people's uh, own, own bodies in the Arab world.
1: In the this reminds me that I wanted to give a little bit of love and respect You're speaking of acts of violence and death threats against you. I know it's not in the Arab world, but recently, not too far away in Afghanistan, a human rights worker, Fatima Khalil, 24, uh, was killed. Her story is just yet another reminder of the intimidation that mostly women uh, are working against in, in a lot of parts of the world. And if you're listening to this, Fatima Khalil, K-H-A-L-I-L. Just Google her story. Um, take a look at it just as a reminder of what's going on out there. Her story deserves to be so many, hundreds, thousands of, of, of people that have been killed for fighting for just normal decency and, and a decent world. All of their stories deserve it. But this is, a, this is a brand new one, published June 29th. I think her life deserves mentioning. So there we go. I just did.
0: Uh, You know, talking about this, Todd, it's always important for me to also add that because, you know, people tend to speak a lot and we as activists from the... Arab world tend to speak a lot about the levels of violence in the Arab world, but let's not forget that this is happening everywhere. Viol- gender violence is has very high percentages in the West as well, whether in the U.S. or in Latin America or in Europe. I keep getting, you know, alarming numbers. Uh, of, of you know, uh, I don't know how you say that in English. Feminicides, feminicides uh, the crime of killing women. So um, let's also keep on reminding people that the fight is not over anywhere. It's still, it has to go on everywhere.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's really too bad. And I don't know if, you, if you're a listener who took some umbrage when he started to realize like, oh, you know, we're having a conversation with uh, a feminist who is fighting against the patriarchy. These are some things that, that a lot of people around the world, men mostly, maybe entirely, uh, get a little defensive about. And they, you know, you'll hear this, this phrase, you know, man hater, or they're just, they're, 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 uh, they're out there just trying to, um, degrade men, et cetera, et cetera. I, it's, but that's not the case. Guys, that's not the case. It's actually, you read this book, Superman is an Arab, and yeah, there's a lot in here that is fighting against the patriarchy and these things, but it's fighting for the best part of us, guys. You know, there's a lot of love for men in your books, Humana, um, a lot of love for the best part of what it is to be a man in the world. I wish that people would remember that more often than. Fighting against the patriarchy or being a feminist is not against men, it's just against the worst part of our nature.
0: Thank you for that, Todd, because it's so unfair. Every time we talk about feminism, or about women's rights, or about equality, uh, there's this reaction that some men or even women Have sometimes that uh, as if we were here to uh, cancel men or replace them or whatever there are absurd things that are um, uh, linked with the notion of feminism and it's all unfair because it's honestly a fight for human dignity for being equal having equal rights and equal opportunities so we should stop being afraid of the word feminist or hating the word feminist we should embrace it i love when men embrace even the word feminist my two sons keep saying that they are feminist men and i'm so proud of that whenever i see because i think it involves everyone it's not just a fight for women it's a fight for dignity and believe me when women are more empowered men will be more empowered as well because i don't think uh, men really want accessories. I do think they enjoy having partners. They just, some of them just haven't discovered that yet.
1: Agreed. I agree. So, I'm going to do something I haven't done before, which is take an author's book and just randomly flip to a page. Okay. And then read an excerpt. It's kind of dangerous with this book, actually, on the, on the Super Nice book. Uh, there's it's a chapter of like, am hand it. <laughs> but, uh, So here we go, is that a book sound? This is the high-tech production here. Um, All right, here we go. I'm gonna read this paragraph. Besides the fact that female excision represents a direct violation of human rights, it also involves many health risks, which include recurrent urinary and vaginal infections, chronic pain, and obstetrical complications. But what's most outrageous about it is that, again, same as with honor crimes and hymen reconstruction, support for the practice often comes from women themselves. It is the mothers who drag their daughters, usually without their prior consent, to undergo the operation, frequently in unsanitary conditions.
0: Right. Ah yeah.
1: that was a great one. Riff on that.
0: Well, can't I also choose one to read a small, small one?
1: You didn't like that one. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> uh,
0: I think I have another option here that oh. I would like to read, if you allow me. I mean, it's You're, not it's allowed. But before you, you do, uh, we'll
1: the, just give a little the, bit of context to that, and then we'll move past it just so people can kind of understand what I was talking about.
0: Uh, yeah, it's about excision. I mean, um, it's a form of um, depriving women from pleasure because they uh, they cut... Um, all the external parts of you know the clitoris and the labia uh, in order to deprive women from pleasure, because you know in in a patriarchal society, women exists to pleasure men and not to to take pleasure herself from their from the actual relation and it 's extremely uh, painful um, they do it uh, to girls at a very young age, uh, they even celebrate it as if it 's something you know, uh, uh, to celebrate. Yeah, unfortunately it is mainly mothers who take their daughters to do that. Mm. I keep speaking about the role that mothers play and the whole uh, patriarchy, you know, uh, so uh, it's mainly mothers who do that. And I keep talking about uh mother's role in patriarchy because I know that most of them or all of them are uh, the fruits of this education that disempowers them and makes them feel that they are nothing. And that is why they do it. But all it takes is a little bit of awareness, you know, just Think about something before you do it. Did it make you suffer? Did it make you, um, you know, feel hurt or belittled? Don't repeat it and do it to your own girls, daughters.
1: And folks, if you think that that genital mutilation is something just for far-flung parts of the world, um, and you're in the United States, just maybe start with graham crackers. Yeah, graham crackers. Do a little research on why they exist, and go down that rabbit hole. It'll be an educational experience for you. Okay, so you had a book, same book, Superman is an Arab. Which one are you gonna read from?
0: No, I chose the same one.
1: Okay, great, all right.
0: Okay, this one is a funny poem, okay? It's called He Says, She Says. Okay, why don't we do this together, Todd? You will read the he part, and I will read the she part. It's number 93. It's page 93. I got it. Okay.
1: So I start, yeah? Yes. Women have to cook, he says.
0: The only thing I'll cook is your flesh, she says.
1: Women are creatures from hell, he says.
0: Good. So you've been warned, she says.
1: Women can't be trusted, he says.
0: You can thank me later, she says.
1: Women must obey men, he says.
0: Then get down on your knees and order me to get naked,
1: she says. Women talk too much, he says.
0: Shut up and make love to me, she says.
1: Women exist to please their lovers, he says.
0: Say please and I'll think about it, she says.
1: Women fall in love easily, he says.
0: What's your name again, she says.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Women just dream of getting married, he says.
0: Don't hold your breath, she says.
1: Women are bad drivers, he says.
0: Well, remember it when when I run you over with my car, she says.
1: (laughs) Women don't care about size, he says.
0: I hope you're not counting on that, she says.
1: (laughs) Women must be spanked when they misbehave, he says.
0: What are you waiting for, she says.
1: Women should be tied down, he says.
0: Where's the rope, she says.
1: Women can't stand one night stands, he says.
0: Tell yourself that when I'm gone tomorrow morning, she says.
1: Don't expect me to stay forever, he says.
0: Is that a promise? She says. <laughs> a little bit of fun. Oh. Perfect. Thank you for playing with me, We've Tom.
1: just expanded the horizon of the Super Nice Club so much. <laughs> so much. Or we've contracted it massively. We'll find out. We'll find out what that is um oh. that's great i i love that that's that is a great piece i didn't remember that one but it has been a while since yeah I this and read it a to z
0: i should send you my more recent books
1: yeah you should jumana is looking for a writer's residency in the los angeles area uh or patron to uh write her <laughs> next book her next yes book. please So if you have any ideas on those, reach out, reach out and and let us know. This is a future Nobel Peace Prize winner, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs)
0: Literature. (laughs)
1: Okay, in literature, poem, whatever. As long as you get the cash to work on doing amazing things while you're still young, right? That's that's the important part. Thank you. Do you have, we do this super nice challenge with each episode. Yes. Do you have a challenge for the members of the super nice club, something they can do to just make the world a little bit nicer.
0: Yes, I do. Tell someone I love you for the first time. It doesn't need to be I love you as in I'm in love with you. Mm-hmm. Just I love you. So many people are afraid or shy to say I love you. I think That's, it's a beautiful habit to say I love you.
1: Oh boy, don't you? You, it's It's such a vulnerable moment, especially because you don't know how it'll be taken, right? Yeah. And... Also, some people don't want to cheapen saying, I love you.
0: Yeah, like well, you never cheapen things. it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I'm in love with you and I want to spend my whole life with you. There are so many kinds of love. Don't expect
1: though. me to stay forever. It ever. doesn't
0: have to be, you know, this immense, you know, tsunami of feelings. Right. It's about loving each other as human beings.
1: Well, that would be the penultimate, that would be the goal of, of being nicer. We are going to accept that challenge, Super Nice Club members. You're going to find somebody, tell them, I love you. I love you, Chumana.
0: I love you, Todd.
1: I started it. You guys are <laughs> next, all right? That's the challenge. Okay. And then we wrap, typically, with you. A question
0: for yeah,
1: you. A question, anything. I'm nervous. I'm super nervous about the question you might ask me, but that's all right. Just let it rip.
0: Okay. So, Todd, if it takes so many efforts to make our world kinder and nicer, doesn't it mean that we are born inherently not nice people?
1: Oh, that's the fun. That's one of the, the age-old questions, right? Um, mm. I think that, and this is a nature-nurture question as well, uh, boy, this gets me in trouble with some listeners, I think. Why? Why? Well, I just, my personal belief is that things like good and evil, which get conflated with niceness too often, they're just concepts. You know, they don't, they don't exist in any way other than to, uh, help vocalize, uh, some social norms. So I don't necessarily believe that we are born good or born evil or, you know, born into either one. I think we're born neutral. I think it's always worth the effort, no matter if we believe that we are born into a world that is depraved and deprived, or if we're born into a world that is full of God's grace, if you will. The bigger question is, you know, do we have an agreement of what a nicer world looks like? Of course we don't, right? Of course we don't. To some people, a nicer world is full of artificial intelligence, and you know, we're going to be able to escape into the matrix, um, or to Mars or things like this. And other people, a nicer world is uh, 10% of the current population and we're living in yurts.
0: Yeah.
1: That is a real big challenge of the idea of the word nice is because it describes individual's visions and individual's preferences. I choose to believe that there's kind of a lot of overlap. With our, with our shared definition of, of what it is to be nice. And I choose to believe that that means equality, that that means fairness, that means just being a decent human, right? I don't yes. choose to believe that we are born to be combative. I don't choose to believe that we are born to be highly individualistic and not part of societies and communities. I think it boils down to, I just choose to believe that there is a future for humanity that where men and women are equal in all the real ways. And it isn't really a question. I mean, it just seems like basic common sense. Look, I'm not sure that the, that the dream of a truly equitable world that is colorblind and genderblind and that lives within the, the budget of, of nature's cycle of natural replenishment, You know, when it comes to our, our resources, that is a super nice world. I'm not sure that we can achieve that, but I am sure that we need to try. And I am sure that a life lived where we try is one where we feel like we did our best and we owe that to our kids. Absolutely. You know, and this generation coming up is going to look back at our generation and the generation before us with some serious judgment. Yeah. Yeah they're going to be living in a world with much reduced resources. They're going to be living in a world that is the result of unbridled greed, but also just, you know, we're generations who didn't know what we had. We didn't understand that all the resources we had, at least in the Western world, especially, and fossil fuels, we didn't really understand that they were finite, right? Yeah. Um, And so we did what humans, any human would do when you find mana, you know, you use it, you eat it, you enjoy it right? Yeah. In the last 30, 40, 50 years, there's been no more excuse. None of us are ignorant in what's been happening. And I think that future generations are really going to have a dim view of the choices we made. And so it's incumbent upon us now to do our best for them. Well, uh, this was an uplifting, super nice, sex positive conversation, Jumana. (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate you and all your incredible work.
0: Thank you so much, Doug. It's been such a pleasure exchanging with you because, you know, it's a whole different level and I I really, really enjoyed it. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I really hope that we can achieve this super nice world at least one, one centimeter at a time, one human being at a time. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's beautiful what you're doing.
1: And now we have super nice, we have super nice Lebanon in the house.
0: Exactly. And I really, I want one of those t-shirts. Oh,
1: of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, okay. Um, so thanks. I appreciate it. Get out there and just keep doing what you're doing with your spirits high. I know it's not always easy, but you're unbreakable.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: So there you have it, folks. A super nice conversation with Jumana Haddad. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope there was a lot there for you to learn. I hope you go in and check out Jumana Haddad and her works online, buy her books, dive in. This is an interesting person that is going to be doing a lot of great things in this world, uh, very much aligned with this idea of taking your life's passions and creating multiple careers, right? That is the kind of inspiration that I hope it fires me up. hope it fires you up. Thank you again for being part of the Super Nice Club. You guys are our sponsors. You make this podcast happen through your support, just your emotional support, your spiritual support, also through your support on our web store, superniceclub.com, where we have our, our shirts and our artist collaborations and different things like that. If you want to get on there and pick something up, go for it. Um, I'll give you a coupon code. How about Super Nice? Lebanon. Super Nice Lebanon is the 15% off coupon code. Try it now, give it a whirl. And if you have any feedback, anything you'd like to discuss with the Super Nice Club, let us know about your acceptance of the Super Nice Challenge. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook under superniceclub.com. You can email me, Todd, T O D, at superniceclub.com. Or just give me a call. My phone number is on the Facebook page, it's also on Instagram. And yeah, I'll pick up the phone and you can let me know what you think. Appreciate you. Let's make this world a nicer place, everybody. Stay nice. Yeah, I'm a rival and desert and this war. I'm closing my account at the angry store. Just wanna be nice. The baby
0: that's the world. That's why I'm joining the super nice club. so come on in. The water is warm. You and I can wait out this passing storm. Just wanna be nice. The baby that's the world.